Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Tuesday, and it's the 1st of December. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. A bipartisan group of senators is trying to pass yet another stimulus package. Plus, the NFL's COVID crisis. But first, today's one big thing, shattering stereotypes of American border towns. The U.S.-Mexico border is often described as a dangerous place by some politicians, including President Trump. The lawless state of our southern border is a threat to the safety, security, and financial well-being of all America. But let's have a reality check here, because data from the FBI shows that U.S. border cities are actually some of the safest in the country. Russell Contreras is Axios' race and justice reporter and has been looking at the numbers. Russell, what did your analysis of the FBI data tell you? Well, looking at 2019 numbers, I found that border cities, 11 of them, had lower crime rates than the national average. For many years now, they've had lower rates of violent crime per 100,000 residents than many cities the same size. For example, a city like El Paso is roughly around the same size of Memphis, Tennessee. El Paso has a violent crime rate of 353. Memphis has a violent crime rate of 1,901. So the cities are around the same size. They have almost the same poverty rate, but a very different story when we're looking at violent crime. So you're saying, just to be clear, that Memphis has almost five times the amount of violent crime that El Paso has. Exactly. You also spoke with some of the mayors of these cities, Russ. I wonder what they're saying about this type of messaging from people like President Trump. So I spoke to a McAllen mayor, Jim Darling. He has a city that's about 140, 160,000 people, and they have seen crime fall for 31 straight years. And in fact, he says whenever people write about McAllen, they refer it to as a dusty little border town. It may be struggling with poverty. It has a very low crime rate. We've been talking about the right and President Trump, but I wonder how the left or progressive wings of the Democratic Party also maybe have a misunderstanding about how these cities operate. That's right. Some of these cities, in fact, all of them have a large percentage of residents who work for law enforcement, whether it's the Border Patrol or Immigration and Customs. So they're very much entrenched in these communities from Brownsville to Yuma. So when these towns see images of folks in the larger cities with signs that say, abolish ICE, abolish Border Patrol, they see that as an attack on them. So what we saw in the 2020 election is that some of these traditional Democratic counties went for Trump larger than expected. And that shocked a lot of people in the political world. What do you want listeners to take away from this conversation? I'd like listeners to really consider their view and their images of the border. It's not a place that we see in media. Yes, there is an area of drug cartel activity, But the towns themselves are relatively safe. Look, if you're coming from Latin America and you're trying to get a job, you're not going to risk your life to cross over and stay in Del Rio, Texas. If you're a drug trafficker and you're trying to bring a load of marijuana over, you're not going to stay in Yuma, Arizona. So all our problems do not stop at the border. We have to look at the totality of the problem and not stereotype some of these communities. Russell Contreras from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Thank you, Russell. Thanks for having me. We'll be back in 15 seconds with the lame duck attempt in Congress to revive another stimulus package. 
Welcome back to Axios Today. A group of nine senators is taking the most significant bipartisan step towards COVID relief that we've seen since April. It's an informal working group right now, but they're aiming to get new spending approved before President-elect Joe Biden takes office. Axios's congressional reporter Elena Treen has been reporting on this. Elena, what are they planning to include in this? Essentially, it's a group of Republican and Democratic senators, all moderates, who are really getting the ball rolling here with action on stimulus funding. They're looking at just some modest provisions, like giving states another year to spend the money that was allocated to them in the CARES Act, or reauthorizing the Paycheck Protection Program for small businesses, and other things that are starting to expire by the end of the year. Elena, I probably should have counted how many times you've come on Axios today to talk about whether or not another stimulus package is going to happen. How optimistic are you about this latest effort? I've talked about a lot with you, Nyla, and I think any sort of bipartisan talks is a good sign. It's the most progress we've seen in a long time. It's really been at the very, you know, highest levels of leadership on the Hill. The fact that other members are starting to take this upon themselves is a good sign. And so I think if they can keep this momentum up, I'll be more optimistic. But as of now, I'm still very skeptical of something happening for real. White House and congressional reporter Elena Treen also co-writes the Sneak Peek newsletter, which now comes out Sunday through Thursday evenings. Thanks, Elena. Thanks, Nyla. There are five weeks until the NFL playoffs, but who knows how we're going to get there? That's because this past week has been an especially harsh reality check for the NFL. Take the Baltimore Ravens. Their Thanksgiving Day game has been postponed three times because more than a dozen players have tested positive for COVID-19. The Denver Broncos' entire string of quarterbacks, four players, were out for this weekend's game because one tested positive and the others didn't follow mask mandates and social distancing. Jeff Tracy is a sports reporter at Axios. Hey, Jeff, so how did we get to this crisis point within the NFL? Well, I guess one question would be, how did it take this long to get to this crisis point? You know, their protocols from the start of the season has been, we know there are going to be positives. We're going to have to just constantly test, contact trace, and isolate. And that's what they've been doing the whole time. Mask slip-ups, they shouldn't happen, but they are. It's obviously not for a lack of funds or resources to combat the virus. And we know that the NFL had the advantage of going after professional hockey, baseball and basketball. But there was no bubble strategy here for NFL teams, correct? That is correct. It was discussed for sure, but they figured that they could do it this way with the expectation of positives, but not an expectation that it would torpedo the season, which to this point it has not. It sounds like you feel like this season is going to happen no matter what. It does feel that way. You know, the coronavirus doesn't care about money, but the NFL certainly does. They just made the Broncos play a rookie wide receiver at quarterback rather than allow them to postpone the game. And if they can do this any possible way, they're going to because there's too much money on the table for that not to happen. Oh, that's Kendall Hinton, by the way. How did he do? Well, in absolute terms, not very well. He had one completion, I believe two interceptions. But this is a guy who was thrust into the most unforgiving of situations. So this was a rookie wide receiver on the Broncos practice squad who had less than a week to prepare for the best team in the NFC, the New Orleans Saints. 
which the Broncos lost 31 to 3. I'd say that they'd uh, lose about the same if I had gone in as quarterback. <laughs> Jeff Tracy is not a quarterback, but a sports reporter for Axios. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks so much. Yesterday, we talked about Black Friday and Cyber Monday. So that's why we wanted to end today reminding you about the nonprofit response to that, Giving Tuesday, which is today and this year more important than ever with millions of Americans in need. Last month, one in every six households with kids said they didn't have enough food to eat each week. It's also World AIDS Day and a good time to remember that HIV is one of the deadliest viral pandemics in history with a death toll of more than 35 million people. That's all we've got for you today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com or find me on Twitter. And if you want more news before tomorrow, tune into our afternoon podcast, Axios Recap. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.